So, and I want to thank you all for coming, uh, making it on a Tuesday night. And I, and I pray that the Lord will, will bless you and that this, will be, uh, this time will be worth it. We're going to be in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 12, and I'm going to um, speak on prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we, um, Father, we don't want uh, just a routine. We don't want just another message. Father, we just humbly come before you, Lord, and we ask that um, you'll build up our faith. Father, even if these are things we have heard before, things we have read before, Father, we pray that you'll make them new, Lord, for us. Lord, we live in a time, Father, where, Father, I know, Lord, and Lord, we know, Lord, here that all the schemes of man and all the plans of man are just not going to work. And Lord, we're living in a time when your church needs to pray. And I ask, Lord, that you will just speak to us, Lord, and help us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 12, we're going to begin from verse 1. A um, couple of weeks ago here, I said that in the Christian life, there are many things that are true. There are many truths in the Bible, and they're all important, but they are not all of equal importance. When they asked Jesus, for example, what's the most important commandment, he did not say, well, go ahead and obey all of them. They're all important. He did say there was one that was more important than the other. And so not all the truths are of equal importance, but they're all important. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the most important thing in the Christian life, the most important thing in the Christian life, and that was loving the Lord Jesus, having a relationship with him. That's what it's about. Whenever that's no longer the center, the goal, the focus, um, you no longer have true Christianity. It becomes a distraction. Everything else becomes a distraction. And so that is the goal. That is the main thing. That, is, that should always remain the main thing. Now, but I did say that in terms of act activities and things that we do, what can a Christian practically do of the tasks or let's say the tools or what some other people may call means of grace that we have, this is what I believe is the most important one. It is prayer. Prayer is the most important thing that you can actually do. The Christian faith isn't um, primarily about teaching. It's not primarily about teaching. And I know that sounds all given I'm teaching right now, right? Um, but a Christian, the, the, the Christian faith isn't primarily about teaching. It is about people coming into contact with the power of Almighty God which then transforms them into the people that God wants them to be. And there's a lot of teachings out there, there's a lot of knowledge out there, but it is the power of God that transforms. Now Paul says that in, in his letters to the Corinthians, the kingdom of God is not a matter of, of word, but it is a matter of power. But how do we get into contact with that power? How do we get to tap into that power? The most important thing that we can do in that direction 
is to pray. So here's what the Bible says here, uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four, of four soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Verse 5, so Paul was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guards at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jews, the Jewish people were anticipating. When, he, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named uh, Rhoda came to answer the door. When he recognized Peter, um, when he, she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand, for them to be quiet and describe how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers without about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter after Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him. He cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. So here's what happened here. King Herod, there are four Herods in the New Testament, and um, this is the third one. And they were all pretty bad people, unfortunately. It was one sign of a family that succeeded from the grandfather, the great-grandfather. He's the person who, in the story of Christmas, tries to kill all the babies in Bethlehem because he wants to uh, have Jesus killed because he heard a new king is, uh, has, been, has arisen. That was uh, 
the first Herod, that's Herod the Great. So this is his grandchild, and in, in his, at this time, the church, Jesus was gone up to heaven, and the church was being led by the apostles. And two of these apostles were brothers, John and James. And Herod, at this time, because the political establishment was against the church, and the religious establishment, the Jewish religious establishment, was also against the church because they consider Christianity to be a perversion of the Jewish faith. They, uh, they considered it to be heresy. And so there was a lot of opposition against the church, both from the political establishment and from the religious establishment. Because of that, they would arrest Christians, put them in jail. Uh, sometimes they would be killed. So in this particular case here, Herod started a wave of persecution against the church. So he had several people who belonged to the church arrested, and one of them, uh, one of those that he had, he had arrested was James, the brother of John. And he had him killed. Now this was a big deal because among the apostles, the common understanding is was that Peter was the most senior leader. After him was John. After that was James. So this is really the number three leader of the church, being the most, the highest profile, I guess, Christian you would say, to have been killed. So he's the first of the 12 apostles to be killed. And when, you read this in verse 3, when he, that is Herod, saw that this pleased the Jews, that they were happy that he had killed somebody, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So he was like, well, you know what? They really liked that I killed number three. Let me make them super happy and grab leader number one and make a mock trial of him and put him to death, and that will please the, the people. Now, that sounds very sick, doesn't it? Sounds very bad. And so we live in a world today where a lot of horrible things happen, and that's not new. People doing very sick things, people thinking in very distorted and perverted ways. It's not new. People being against the Christian faith, being against uh, 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 the name of the Lord, is not new. Let me say something about, about this. I, I, I was speaking this weekend with a, a gentleman who had been a chaplain in the, in the military here for a very, very long time. He's retired now but still does some duties. Uh, I, I briefly met him on Sunday. And we were, uh, I, I asked him, when they, they ask you to pray, do you, can you pray in the name of Jesus? And he said to me that it is interesting because other religions can pray in the name of their God often and there is no backlash. But often the Christian ones cannot pray in the name of Jesus because um, there will be a backlash sometimes. And he told me, you see, the opposition is not against God or against religion. The opposition is against Jesus Christ. The opposition is against the name of Jesus. You say God, you say whatever else, no one will bother much, but you say Jesus you say, Jesus Christ, people will get mad and upset with you. As we sang today, 
there is one name that is, loud, that is stronger than fear, stronger than the enemy. It is the name of Jesus Christ. And so you see that persecution is not new. It began all the way up to that back, way back 2,000 years ago in the days of the apostles. So Herod has uh, Peter arrested, and he intended to put him to death. So this was the Feast of Unleavened Bread when he had put him in, in prison, and then he intended to put him uh, for public trial after the Passover, which is the most important feast. Uh, it was the most important feast in the, in the Jewish calendar at the time. So the Bible says here that Peter, verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. But let's look at um, verse 4 here, the condition in which Peter was. After arresting him, Peter is put in prison, handed over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Four squads of four soldiers each. And then look further um, in, in verse 6. The Bible says that Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound by two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So he's in prison. He's got 16 soldiers to guard him, four squads of four. He has two chains attached to him, sentries standing guard in a high-security prison. That was Peter's condition. Now that's a picture of a situation you cannot get out of. Okay. There was no solution for Peter. The church did not have political connections. They could not go there, mount a Navy SEAL-style rescue operation for Peter. They could not get him out. They, they couldn't protest on the street and get Peter out. That was out of the court. They had nothing, nothing, nada. It was, he was done. He was done. And so, here's what I want to say uh, to tonight here as we're, we get into this. Listen, in life, your personal life, God will allow you at times to get into a situation where there are no human solutions, where you can't argue your way out of it, you can't buy your way out of it, you can connive your way out of it. You can work your way out of it. You can get somebody else to help you out of it. God will put you, will allow you to get into situations where there is no other way out. Where humanly speaking, it is impossible, it is done. This was the case with Peter here. There was nothing that they could do for him. So I want to ask you, are you or is your someone in your family, someone that you know, is in a situation that you look at and there's just no way out? There's no solution. Uh, you've tried everything. You have attempted everything. And there just doesn't seem to be any human solutions left. When that happens, in a, in a sense, you're in a good place. Because prayer, fundamentally, is something for desperate people. Prayer is for desperate people. Those who have plan B, plan C, plan D, and E, 
will find it hard to pray. When you turn to God with an issue, it has to be you have nowhere else to go. So as President Abraham Lincoln said one time that I was, of, I was often driven to my knees knowing I had nowhere else to go. I often find myself on my knees because I knew that I had nowhere else to go. And do you recognize those times? Do you recognize those times when you get there, when you're like, you know what? The truth here is I don't have any solutions. Let me turn to God. Now, unfortunately, often we as Christians, we do everything but turn to God. Here's what the verse 5 says here. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church earned, was earnestly praying for him. But the church was earnestly praying for him. You maybe heard people mention the but God moments in the Bible, right? I think um, in, uh, um, in, in Ephesians it says, you know, um, we, we were sons of perdition, but when it pleased God to reveal the Son. There's those moments where the Bible says, here's a problem, but God came in. So, but here's another one. This is, but someone prayed. But someone prayed. Without God in the picture, the whole thing seemed hopeless. And if you look at the situation today, not just in your own life, you look at our country, you look at the crime, you look at all the things that are going on, the hatred, the disunity, the social unrests, the racism, the discrimination, the hatred, uh, the abortions, the immorality, everything that's going on. There is a lot to be discouraged about. You look at churches that are closing everywhere, turning into condo buildings, and you ask yourself, but... It, 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 what about the, the things of God? I, I, I went, I visited a church um, years ago when I was an undergrad. Um, I, I visited a church a, 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 that has a large building, and there was an old lady there. She took me in, and she told me she had been there for a long time. She, she told me about uh, the Reverend Martin Luther King coming and speaking in that church, that there was a soap pack she couldn't get in. She had been there forever. It's, it, she showed me the sanctuary, and she said, this seats about 1,000 people, but you're lucky if you get 30 people on a Sunday. And she told me that um, some uh, grad student girl from MIT was doing a, a, a thesis in architecture. She was studying architecture, was doing, using, trying to use their church as a case study for how to turn uh, churches into condo buildings and leave them maybe a, a, a little chapel where they could still meet. So that, that's, the state, that, that's, the, that's the state of things. It does no good to sugarcoat and say things are going well in the country, that is the state of things. And, but in the same place, just maybe a five-minute drive from there, when I would drive back from Medford where my, my, my friend Sonny, uh, my prayer partner, we've been praying for 
weekly for, for many years now. I'll drive back late at night from his house back to my house, and I'll pass by not far from that place on Friday nights, and you'll see lines of people lined up to get into the nightclubs and the bars. You'll see girls in miniskirts in frigid temperatures waiting to get into the clubs for f- and they pay for it. But on Sunday, when it's time to go to the house of God for free, <laughs> it's 30 people on a 1,000-seat sanctuary. That's the state of things. And You can look at that, and there is a lot to be discouraged about. Only if God was not in the picture. The situation was bad, but the church was praying. The country is in a bad state, but some people were praying. A child ran away, but someone was praying. Someone was sick but an aunt or a friend or a grandparent was praying. Someone is addicted, but a friend was praying, but a parent was praying. Someone is in chain and bound, but a spouse was praying. Prayer here is what made the difference. So, going down here, here's what, what happened. I want to talk about the people, about what happened when these people prayed and what prayer did. And then maybe mentioned a few things about the people who were praying. So the Bible says here that as these believers were praying, verse 7, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. An angel of the Lord appeared. As these Christians were praying, God entered the situation. The angel here is God's representative coming into a desperate situation. The angel came in, and the Bible says here here, here are the things that happen as a result of prayer. And these are the things that will happen when you pray. Please listen to me, brothers and sisters. When you and I pray, these things are going to happen. There is no prayer in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that was not answered. God answers prayers. The Bible says you do not have because you do not ask. Instead of asking, we fight, we argue, we try crying, we try yelling, we try bribing, we try manipulating. The Bible says you do not have because you do not ask. And I I want to stir your faith, my faith, to go back to giving God a chance to enter our situations. Okay, To give God a chance to enter our desperate situations. So here is what happened. And here is what will happen when you and I pray. A light shone in the cell. Light is always the first thing that God does. When God created the world, the Bible says that God said, let there be light. God brought clarity into the situation. He brought light where there was darkness. He brought light where there was blindness. 
Do you have someone in your life, a, a parent, a brother, a sister, a spouse, a neighbor, whoever, who ju they're just in darkness, they can't see their situation for what it is. Pray for them. When God enter the enters the situation, there will be light that will come there. And so the angel came in, entered the situation, and here's the other thing that happened. He, he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Say, get up, quick, he said. There was a man who was sleeping, and the angel was able to wake him up. The other thing that will happen when you and I begin to pray, there will be an awakening. There will be an awakening. People who are spiritually asleep will come back to being spiritually alert. Do you know someone who's backslidden? This is a picture of that. Do you know someone who's just fallen asleep spiritually? They've become unresponsive to spiritual things. Don't argue with them. Pray for them. Call on the Lord. God is able to wake them up. God knows how to get people's attention. He will get their attention. He will wake them up. The greatest need of the hour that we have is that we have a spiritual awakening in our country. Now, it's not going to happen through by uh, having uh, more Christian-friendly programs on television or more Christian-friendly social media networks. And nothing wrong with any of those things. But what will need to happen is that God has to come down and wake people up. And so Peter woke, Peter woke up. He came to his senses, as it says of the prodigal son, that there came a time when it just clicked in his mind. You know what? What am I doing here away from my father's uh, estate? I need to get up and go back to my, to my father. The Bible says he came to his senses. Something clicked in him. Pray for people, and God will do that miracle. Here's the other thing that happened. The angel said, quick, get up. And, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Here's something else that will happen when we pray. Chains will fall off. The chains will be broken. Do you have chains in your life? Are you bound by something? Are you bound by a bad habit? I don't care what it is. Pornography, uh, unforgiveness, anger, fits of rage, jealousy, whatever it is. God can set you free. One of the things that happened, do you know, especially, do you know someone who's addicted? Don't argue with Sometimes, you know, we, we tell people, come on, why can't you just stop doing that? Stop doing it. Just say no. Stop. But we have to realize at some point, people can't do that. Some people have come to the point where they have become prisoners of their addiction. They cannot just say, today I'm going to stop and walk out of this. It's easy for you and I to say that to them, but that's like telling Peter, what are you doing in this job? Come on, get up, get up and walk out. No, he can't. He's bound. He's in chains. What he needs, he needs a power that is stronger than the chains to come in and set him free. And look, look at what happened here. The chains fell off by themselves. This angel didn't need any power tools. 
He didn't need a jackhammer. When he said, get up, the chain fell off. This is what happened when people pray. God comes, and when he comes and he steps in, he does his work. And sometimes he does his work very quick. The light shone. Peter woke up. The chain fell. And then the angel told him, um, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. I'll come back to that in a moment. The angel told him, and Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. The other thing that will happen when we pray, the angel began to lead Peter out. Okay? One of the things that will happen when you pray, when I pray, there will be divine guidance and leading from the Lord. There's been a lot of brainstorming from men, a lot of uh, men's ideas that we've tried to follow, but we do need to start giving God a chance to actually lead us out of our situations, of our desperate situations. That will happen when we pray. And here is the other thing that happened. Verse 10, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. They passed the first guard, they passed the second guard. No one stopped them. There was no enemy, no one said, hey, angel, what are you doing? No, you can't kick him out of here. He's supposed to stay here. There was no power that could withstand the answer to prayer. There is no power in the world that withstands the power of prayer. And so... When they, they, they went there past the guards, past all things that could have opposed them, past all the enemy lines, past all the opposition, the Bible said that they gave, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. Now, this is the kind of stuff that if you weren't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. If you weren't in the Bible, I'll have a hard time believing Because even we have the best fighting force in the world, in the United States, even our Navy SEAL couldn't pull this off. They couldn't rescue Peter in this kind of a way. The iron gate opened by itself. When we pray, this is what will happen. Doors open by themselves. Doors that were closed start to open. You know what we do instead? Is that we start banging and banging on doors and we get tired and exhausted, we get frustrated, and it does not open. But when they prayed, God entered the situation. The door began to open by itself. Are you facing closed doors? Everywhere you're turning, there's a door that's closed on you. Pray. Pray. God will hear you. And he will give you an answer. And the doors that he wants for you will begin to open by themselves. Without you conniving and trying hard or kicking them open. And here's what it says here. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. He didn't just barely get him out the door. He really led Peter out to safety. This was quite an answer to prayer here. Quite an answer to prayer. So, I just want to say now some practical things about 
um, just prayer here from the people who were praying, okay? How do you and I pray? What can we learn from the church here? Number one, I want to go back to verse 5. The Bible says here that the church was earnestly praying to God for Peter. The church was earnestly praying to God. It was earnest prayer. They weren't praying saying, God, it would be nice if you no, didn't rescue him from being killed. It would be nice if you got him out. They were not praying. It was intense, earnest prayer. When you pray, as with everything in the spiritual life, do it with all your heart. If you are praying, pray with all your heart. If you are teaching the Word of God, teach with all your being. If you are reading, studying the Bible, do it with everything in you. Don't do things half-heartedly. You work, work with all your heart. And so pr when we pray, we ought to pray earnestly. The Bible, this is a, this is a, 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 it's a spiritual principle, okay? Hebrews chapter 11 says that those who approach God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who do what? Earnestly seek Him. Has to be earnest. Has to be with all your heart. Usually when there's half-heartedness in prayer, it's either a sign of lack of faith or it's a sign of something being hypocritical in the person's life. It's true. When people pray half-heartedly, it's usually a sign that something is not right. They either are not believing God, they don't really believe that what they're saying is going to happen, or it's a sign of something being deficient in the walk with the Lord. Because those who are approaching God and who know that He exists, know that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, You will find me if you seek me with what? With all of your heart. It has to be with all of your heart. When Jesus says, seek the kingdom, He says, seek it first. Seek it more than you seek anything else. It's a spiritual principle. It has to be with all of our hearts. What happens often is that we pray... But a prayer is like praying the lottery, you know. Okay, I'm going to scratch this number. Who knows? Maybe I'll win. Maybe I won't. Uh, I hope nobody here gambles. Um, it's, 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 a, it's unrighteous behavior. But it, prayer is not a gamble. It's not like, let me try it, and then maybe it's going to work. I'm going to throw some things up the ceiling. Maybe something will stick, and, and I'll get an answer. It has to be, you have to be convinced in your heart that God is going to answer you. And so you put your all in, the, in, in, in prayer. The other thing that I want to say here is they were praying to God. Now that's a small detail, but this happens especially when you're praying in a group. It's possible to pray to your own ears or to pray to the ears of others. And as opposed to really praying to God, it is God who answers prayers. It is not the act of praying itself that does something. It is the fact that God in heaven is hearing prayer and he will answer it. So it's not like we put our faith in prayer itself, even though we often use that term, the power of prayer. 
the, reali the reality is it is the power of the God who answers prayers. So we put our faith not in prayer itself. It is prayer to God in the name of Jesus. The other thing that I want to say about these people who are praying, they prayed, I already mentioned that they were praying, this was not plan B or C for them, they were praying as the only recourse that they had. The other thing that I want to mention here is that they prayed until God answered. Okay? It says here that this miracle happened in verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial. Meaning God waited till the last minute pretty much to do the miracle for them. Sometimes God will put you, I said, in an impossible situation or will allow you to get into an impossible situation. And you begin to pray. And when you pray the first day, nothing happens. You pray the second day, nothing happens. And the third day, and the fourth day, and the fifth day. But you keep praying because you believe that you are dealing with God who rewards those who earnestly seek him. And sometimes God will wait. He will wait all the way to the last day, to the last moment, to the last second before he gives an answer. He's never too late. He's never early. He's always right on time. God knew that they were praying. God knew where Peter was. He knew where his situation was. He knew how bad it was. And God honored the prayer of these, the prayer of these people. And at the la on the last day, God answered them. The other thing that I, I want to say, you see, Jesus only gave two parables on prayer. There are only two. One was the, the friend who went to his neighbor at midnight because he had, the neighbor who went to his neighbor at midnight because he had a friend visiting. And then there's the persistence widow in Luke chapter 18. In both those parables, there's only one common theme. It's persistence. Prayers for desperate people, you pray earnestly, but prayers also for persistent people. Persistent is a Christian virtue. You begin to pray and you don't give up. You don't say, well, I prayed for a week, God didn't hear me out. No, you keep pray and you keep praying until God answers you, and he will. Um, the other thing here that I want to mention um, is that Look at um, verse, verse 8. The, then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And the angel did so. I want to talk about this whole thing of what if it's not God's will? What if you're praying and it's not God's will? Because unfortunately I've discovered this. That when it comes to prayer, we have come up with a lot of what I consider to be theological excuses for not praying and for not expecting answers. Here we have a situation, either somebody's sick or there's some uh, bad situation, and we're praying, but then because, and this happens to people who know more of the Bible. They've read about it, read theology, and they, they get into, well, what if God's sovereignty, and what if God doesn't want this to happen, and so forth and so forth. I, I want to address that for a, a, a moment here. You see, Peter, this, these people knew or must have known and likely knew that this was not the time for Peter to die. 
How do I know that? Because in John chapter 21, verse 18, Jesus clearly said that Peter will die when he was old. Okay? He said that um, to him, John chapter 21, verse 18, Jesus told Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Verse 19 said, Jesus said this to indicate what kind of, the kind of death by which Peter will glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus said to Peter, one day when you're old, Someone will stretch out your arm and will take you where you don't want it. In other words, you will die when you're old and you will be killed for the gospel. Now, Peter was not there yet. He was not that old yet. And so these people could, 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 could pray and see the angel told him, wrap your cloak around you. He was still able to do that. He was still young. And so it was not his time to die. The time came later. When it was time for Peter to die, and he mentions that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, he says to Peter, writes to the church that the time for me to leave this body has come. The Lord has revealed that to me. So here's what I'm trying to say. When we pray, we ought to believe that God wants to answer our prayers. And if God is going not to do what we are asking, if the answer to prayer is no, let God speak for himself. Let God tell you, you've been praying to me, my answer is no. Until and unless God tells you that, pray and keep praying. Don't let other Christians tell you, well, you know, maybe God doesn't want this. No, don't listen. Sometimes you ought not to listen to Christians. I learned that early on in my Christian walk, that sometimes I should not listen to because sometimes we mislead one another. We kill faith in one another. Let God speak for himself. God speaks to his children. He said, my sheep hear my voice. They, okay, it's not God's will. I'll ask you, did God tell you what I'm praying is not God's will? God knows where I live. He knows my address. He has my phone number. If what I'm asking him is wrong, let him tell me no. But don't believe, uh, don't just say, well, you know, because there's no faith or whatever. Like, you know what? This may not be God's will. And if it is something that has been promised in the word of God, there's no question about it. You, ought to, you can pray and claim that promise. If it is something else, yeah, go to God and listen to him. And the answer may be yes. Maybe not now, or the answer may be no. But let God speak for himself on that. And so, that's one thing. The other thing that I want to say about this is this. You see, these people who were praying, the Bible says that when Peter got out of the jail, it was in the middle of the night, um, and he, it, it seems like it was pretty late, uh, uh, early in the morning. Um, and Peter goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter leaves jail, goes to the house of, of 
of Mary, the mother of John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And there, the Bible said many people were gathered and were praying. So here's the thing. You see, this, it doesn't seem like this was thousands upon thousands of people praying. It was however many people you can gather in a house. This was a group of believers, regular believers, praying in a house. And it doesn't even seem, hinting from what Peter says later in chapter 17, that there was even any major leader there or another apostle there in that house. Because he t- tells James that the, 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 one of the other leaders and the brothers. So this was just a group of humble, simple Christians, a mother, when her son Mark, praying. They were not supermen and superwomen. They were regular people. John Mark, later on, he deserts. Um, he, he deserts. He's the one who deserted. Um, he, he later on deserts Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. These were people with weaknesses. They were imperfect people. Neither was their faith perfect. And I really want to emphasize that because sometimes when we pray, we feel, well, I don't really feel that much faith. I don't really feel the faith. Well, look at this. These people's faith weren't perfect. How do I know that? The Bible says in verse 13, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening the door and claimed, Peter is at the door. And when she said, Peter is at the door, the people didn't say, well, of course, we've been praying for him. Go open the door. They say, you're out of your mind. He can't be here. Well, they were praying, weren't they? And now that the guy, the answer came, they were having a hard time believing it. So you can't say their faith was perfect either. They were just regular people like you and I, praying. And let me say this, Rhoda was overjoyed. It is always an amazing thing when God answers prayer. Jesus said, ask, you ask and you receive so that your joy can be full. Do you know that part of the way God wants us to have joy is the joy of answered prayer? Part of the joy we don't experience is the joy of not praying. You know, when you really bring something to God where you know there's no way other than God stepping in and doing something and God actually answers you. Who's ever had an experience like that? You are praying for something where you know only God can, 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 can step in and God actually did. I remember when that has happened to me. It builds your faith. It brings joy. You stand there and you don't even know what to say because you're like, wow, God, you stepped into this. The God of the universe listened to me when I prayed and he answered. It's the joy of answered prayer. It's what Rhoda had here. She was so overjoyed. And I want to point to verse 16. I don't think it's a stretch here. They did not answer, but Peter kept on knocking until they opened the door. That's another, that's another picture of prayer. You knock until the door is open to you. You do not give up. And so the, there you have it. These were people who were regular people, simple people, praying in a home, praying in a house, not even in a big building. God answered them. And I will just mention 
briefly here. Um, verse, this other passage here from verse 20 to the end of the, of the chapter, the Bible tells us of another case of people where you had, um, the Bible talks about verse 20, um, now this is Herod, the same person, now that Peter, um, actually excuse me, before I do that, let me mention this here. They said that in the morning, when they got up and Peter was not there, they cross-examined the guard, and it says here that they, had, they were executed and they died. Now that, um, that um, makes me, at first, read a little uncomfortable with poor guys. They, they were just working in the jail. And what could they do? Stop the angel uh, from taking Peter out. But the, the lesson here is this, uh, is this, is that these people knew that this man was an innocent man. He hadn't done anything wrong. And when you take part in something that is unrighteous and unjust, you expose yourself to judgment from God. You expose yourself. There's no guarantee of God rescuing you while you're taking part in something unrighteous. And so God does not rescue these uh, people, and they are executed. So then you have the opposite story. The church handled its dispute with Herod by prayer. But here are the people of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 20, they were quarreling with Herod. They joined together and sought audience with him, having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king. They asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Wow, so these are people who economically depended on this king, and so they wanted to resolve whatever quarrel they had with him. When you're quarreling with somebody on whom your people depend for food, that's not a good thing. You want to resolve that quarrel pretty quick. And so how did they resolve it? They secured somebody who had connection. They did what the world does. They found somebody with connection, somebody who's eloquent, somebody who could argue for them. And on the appointed day, wearing royal robe, Herod sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And verse 22, they used flattery. They shouted, this is the voice of God, not the voice of a man. Verse 23, because, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms, and he died. This is the second time you see an angel stepped into this chapter. The first angel came in response to prayer and rescued Peter, and the church won that battle against Herod. Here, you have the angel who appeared because these people who were quarreling with Herod and depended on him used worldly method to try to get their, to resolve their, their quarrel. An angel came and he struck their guy. They said, this is the voice of a God, not the voice of a man. But then he gets struck immediately because he did not give praise to the Lord. And that's also something that we have to be very careful about. Always give glory to God. Whatever the Lord does, give glory to God. Yeah, Herod was king, but it was God who allowed him to sit on that throne. Never get arrogant and, you know, over whatever you have. Uh, on, on Thanksgiving Day, we had a few, people, had a few people from church here gather at my house, and 
just shared briefly, you know, the Word of God says, what, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast about it? So whatever you have, it came from the Lord. Be humble about it. And it is interesting when you read the account of this from Josephus. Josephus is a first century historian. He actually has an account of, of, of this. It sounds a lot more terrifying than the way the Bible renders it here. You know, so the Bible just says he was struck by worms and he died. It sounds like, quick, he suffered for like three days and died a miserable, miserable death, according to Josephus' account of this. It's one of those things that reminds you that whenever the Bible says something, the reality of it is always bigger than what you, the text lets out. By the, and so he died in verse 24. <laughs> But the word of the Lord continued to, to increase and to spread. The word of the Lord increased and continued to spread. How did the word of the Lord continue to increase and to spread? Because the church resolved its battle by prayer. The people who tried to stop the word of God, put Peter in prison, they died. But the word of God continued. And indeed, it's continuing today. Um, and I want to say a word here to anybody who, you know, I don't know if you feel like that. I know um, my mom was um, telling me some months ago about something she was seeing in the news, um, something that was being done against Christians and in some part of this country and what are we going to do and things like that. I, you know, I, I told her mom, look, the Roman Empire were against the Christians. Religious establishment of the Jews were against Christians. They're gone. But Christianity is still here today. It's not at the mercy of kings and queens and presidents and judges and all of that. If the gospel depended on that, we'd been gone a long time ago. The gospel depends on one thing, on Christians who pray and obey on Christians who pray and obey the Lord. It's what we need today. We need prayer. Let's not fight with the world. Let's not fight with um, the kings of this world. Let's not fight with one political party or the other or this person. that. Don't fight with people in your life. Pray. Call on God. He'll answer us. So we have um, some 10 minutes left here. Uh, we're going to take some time and pray. You know, and I want us to pray maybe just that thing in your life that seems insurmountable, the impossible situation, maybe yours, maybe your family, maybe an unsaved family member, um, what, whatever that, that may be. Um, pray, ask the Lord to do a miracle for you. Call on God, and you don't have to share it if it's too personal. Um, you, can just, uh, you can just pray quietly while others are praying. You can pray for someone else in your group. But let's uh, split in groups of uh, at least three, be more three, four, five. And let's call on God. Let's believe the Lord for what, to do a miracle for us. You know, it's, it pleases and causes the heart of God to rejoice when he knows that people trust him, that his people trust him and turn to him. 
The parents here know that when your children show that they trust you, it makes you happy, it pleases you. To know that your child knows when my mom, my dad says, I'm going to take care of this, they know they can rest and uh, uh, they can rest because they know you will do it. When you promise them something, you will do it. God rejoices to see that in us when we trust Him, we believe in Him, and we turn to Him. So I'm going to pray, and then um, we can split and pray. Father, God, I have tried, Lord, to stir the faith, Lord, of your people, my own, Lord, and that of your people tonight. Father, I ask, God, that in your grace, Lord, in your mercy, Father, that for those of us who are here and anybody watching online, Lord, I ask you like the disciples asked, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us to turn to you, Lord. Father, let it become like a reflex for us, Lord. Anything goes wrong, we pray. Anything seems to be going wrong, we pray. Lord, help us, Lord, to Turn away, Lord, from the carnal means and the ways of men. And I pray that we will truly believe you, Lord, that you are able to handle our situation. You, are ha you have an answer for whatever we're going through, Lord. Father, increase our faith. Give us greater faith. Give us perseverance in prayer. Help us to be earnest, to believe you, to pray and not give up. Pray until you give us a clear answer. God, thank you for the times you've answered our prayers. Thank you for the times when we know, Lord, you answered us. We prayed and you answered us, Lord. And we pray that you'll do it again and keep doing it again. And we will give you all the glory when you do it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we can get together now and pray. <laughs>